I think that when we see someone in active lethal emotional pain, somebody who's crying profusely, we should always approach them and say, hey, you're breaking my heart. What can I do for you? What do you need right now? Can I help you? Are you okay? Is something wrong? That's all I wanted to hear that day. I would have told that person everything and begged them to save me. I wouldn't have leapt off that bridge. Welcome to the Dream Out Loud family, where young entrepreneurs come to learn the tips, tricks, and attitude of what it takes to live their dream life. I'm your host, Morgan T. Nelson, a former carpenter who created financial freedom by the age of 23 and have since spent my time traveling around the world living my dream life, inspiring, educating, and teaching other young people how they can do the same. Each and every week, I'll bring you the most epic guests who are going to share their stories, wisdom, tips, and tricks on how they've been able to create a life by design. Here at Dream Out Loud, we're committed to helping inspire and educate you to be able to execute your full potential. All right, guys. Today's guest is a storyteller, best-selling author, global public speaker, award-winning documentary filmmaker, and is one of out of only 36 people that have ever tried to take their own life by jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge that has lived to tell the story. His message has now been viewed and listened to hundreds of millions of times all around the world by hundreds and hundreds of thousands of social media clips that have gone viral over the years as he shares his stories of what happened that day. He's traveled the world inspiring, educating, giving hope to thousands and thousands of people as he endeavors to help them build a stronger mind to always be in control of their thoughts and actions. And he has won countless awards, including in 2016, (laughs) where the Mental Health America awarded him the highest honor, the Clifford W. Beers Award, in his efforts to improve the lives of and attitudes towards people with mental health issues. So please... Help me welcome the guy who went from mowing his neighbor's lawns as a kid to now traveling the world as a sought-after speaker, best-selling author, filmmaker, spreading his word and story of hope, healing, and recovery while helping people survive pain with true resilience. My friend, Mr. Kevin Hines. Wow, Morgan, thank you for the kind intro. I appreciate it. That was too kind. That was that's like a resume. I love it, man. Dude, I got to be honest, when I was like, I actually watched, obviously, I think probably everyone in the world has seen your Goldcast video. Like that Goldcast video is when I remember watching that years ago. And I was like, wow, and it just went so viral. And then something happened where you kind of popped back into my social media feed a few weeks ago. And I was like, I'd love to have Kevin on the show because, you know, what the Dream Out Loud podcast is, is it's one of the top personal development podcasts here in Australia. And it's all about bringing people in that can help people develop the tips, tricks, and attitude of what it takes to create their dream life. And especially in Australia in the last few years, this mental health topic, this has just been rising. And um, when I was putting together all of this, I was actually getting teary. I was like, man, this is wild. So I'm really excited to sort of bring you to my people and see what sort of epic nuggets you have for people. So I'm excited, man. No pressure. No pressure at all. Hey, it's not your first day anyway, so you'll be okay. <laughs> um, but Kevin, I'm curious, how would you describe yourself today? Happy, hopeful, and in love with life. I love that. And how would you describe yourself before the attempt? Shrouded by darkness and living only inside pain. Mm. How old were you? I was 19 when I jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge. 
Right. And how old are you now? 41. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So for the people who haven't you know, seen your, your videos and stuff, talk to us. So you were 19 years old. How long was this a thing that you were just one day woke up and thought, this is what you want to do today? Or is this something that was going through your head for a long time? Or how long was this kind of a, an idea? Well, just so you're aware, I never wanted to do it. I believed I had to. I believed I had no other course of action but to die by my two hands from lethal emotional pain. I think that's an important distinction to make with people who die by suicide, is that they don't want to die. They want to stop the ever-present pain. And if you, you can liken it to this. I'm going to ask you a question. Answer audibly. What is the one thing you want to happen when you find yourself in excruciating physical pain? What do you want that pain to do? To go away. To go away. That's physical pain. That pain will likely heal, whether it's a broken arm or leg, a snapped tendon, uh, whether it's a muscle tweak or nerve pain, it's going to go away. But brain pain, what people end up feeling is that it's going to be the rest of their life. When you're inside the brain pain, you can't see a future without it. When you have a broken arm, you got a cast, you know that cast coming off in six months. Mm. The pain's going to stop. But with brain pain, you feel like there's no other escape route but to attempt to take your life. And then that's why so many people end up dying that way, right? So I didn't want to. I believed I had to. But to answer your question, it was a thing where I hadn't planned it for a long time. It came pretty swiftly, and I picked the Golden Gate Bridge, not because it was a beautiful Art Deco masterpiece that's not safe, but because of the ease of access to lethal means. It's a four-foot rail, tall enough 12-year-old could trip over. And I thought you died upon impact, which is a blatant lie that's been misrepresented in the media. There are tens of ways to die off the Golden Gate Bridge. Most are very slow and very violent. And people don't think about that. The repercussions from their actions. It's brutal to die off the Golden Gate Bridge. Mm. Absolutely brutal. I survived for a myriad of reasons. I call them my three miracles. A woman driving by in a red car at the moment of my attempt saw me go over, called her friend in the United States Coast Guard, who happened to be manning the waters of the bridge at that moment. Second, in the water before the woman, before the Coast Guard boat arrived, I was drowning. I kept going down. I couldn't get to the surface. Something began to circle beneath me, bumping me up. I thought it was a shark. I was freaking out. But it turned out to be a sea lion. That is the most craziest, craziest thing. So it sounds crazy. But I'll tell you, all around the world, since the dawn of human existence, animals have saved humans' lives in all kinds of situations. There is a situation in Africa where a cheetah saved a newborn. There was a situation in, there's been situations all over the world where dolphins have saved humans from sharks. There's even situations where like a wolf saved a child at one point. Like there's dogs saving human beings all around the world since the dawn of human existence because animals have emotions too. Mm. And that emotional factor, and especially if it's like a a maternal animal, an animal that's had infants or, you know, not, not children, but babies, they tend to be motherly to the human being in trouble. It's incredible. Discovery, I think, did a show about it that I was on. It's incredible. The sea lion came to my aid, kept me afloat, until the Coast Guard boat arrived behind me, and then it took off. That creature didn't even speak my language. 
mm. and saved my life. And then the Coast Guard, it was incredible. These wonderful officers got me onto a flatboard, into a neck brace. They strapped me in Predator and they got me to the ambulance and the ambulance got me to the hospital. And here's number three. One of the foremost back surgeons, Dr. Jonathan Levin, who was not supposed to be there at that hour, stayed to do my surgery, the first and only of its particular kind, where he saved my back and my ability to stand, walk, and run, all because he stayed to to help me out. Mm. I since uh, reunited with him this year, and it was the first time we'd seen each other in 22 years. It was incredible. Beautiful human being. Can you share with us, I'm sure you've shared it a million times, so of course you don't have to if you don't want to, but would you mind sharing with us, like, how did the day actually play out? And because you know what was also convenient, I don't know the right word to use, you were 19, I tried to take my own life at 19 as well. So I'd love to actually get in, just for the people who haven't heard your story, I'd love to sort of unpack what you think behind the reasons why younger people, and it's like when we look, it's like younger and younger people these days are trying to take their own life. But can you share your story? Like, what, how, how did the day play out? I woke up that day. Well, first of all, I went the night before I wrote my note. The morning of, I entered my father's room. He was sleeping. I woke him. I startled him awake, and I told him I loved him. And he said, Kevin, what's wrong? I said, nothing's wrong. I just want to tell you I love you because I thought it was the very last time. I made my way eventually out to the Golden Gate Bridge on a bus, hoping, wishing, and praying that one person would see me, see my pain, and say something kind and compassionate. Nobody did. The bus driver looked at me after nobody, after everyone else got off the bus. He said, get off the bus. I got to go. I walked up to him with water flowing from my eyes, and he just motioned for me to get off the bus. I walked on in the span of the Golden Gate. I paced back and forth for what had to be nearly 40 minutes, crying the whole time. Doggers, tourists, runners, police officers searching for suicidal people went by me twice. And that's important to stop there for a minute. I think that when we see someone in active lethal emotional pain, somebody who's crying profusely, we should always approach them and say, hey, you're breaking my heart. What can I do for you? What do you need right now? Can I help you? Are you okay? Is something wrong? That's all I wanted to hear that day. I would have told that person everything and begged them to save me. I wouldn't have left off that bridge. We forget how powerful our words can be and our actions. Sometimes it just takes a smile to change your mind. But in today's society, we live in a fractured society, a society that doesn't even ask our own friends if they're okay, let alone a perfect stranger crying on a bus stop. You could be the catalyst to saving a life if you took yourself out of your device for two seconds and looked around at the people in front of you or around you, or next to you. And I think that's the thing that we need to change in society. It's an American thing. It's an Australian thing. It's a New Zealand thing. It's an African thing. It's everywhere. We have become addicted to our mobile devices, and we are forgetting human beings and how to be human, how to be kind. When I went to the Golden Gate Bridge, I forgot how to be honest. All I had to do that day was go into my father's room and say, I need help now. And then tell him what I was thinking, and he would have stopped me. He would have done anything in his power to stop me. What was stopping you from uh, being able to say those words? Fear and shame. I feared they would lock me up in a white-walled padded room and throw away the key. Mm. And I was ashamed that I had the thoughts in the first place. Today, when I'm suicidal, as I live with chronic thoughts of suicide, today, I always do two things when I'm suicidal. Number one, I say my thoughts don't have to become my actions. They can simply be my thoughts. Number two, I say to anyone in front of me, I need help now. 
And if we were on this podcast and I was suicidal, Morgan, I'd say it to you. And if I said that to you, what would you do? Probably cancel the rest of my day and sit in and have a conversation with you. You would help me. Yeah. People fear telling their truth, but telling your truth is the only way to purge it from your soul so you can survive it. If you keep it in, it will bury you. This is interesting because I didn't tell anybody actually of even my attempt for years because of that, the shame. Why do you think people hold shame around? Because there's, I bet you there's someone listening to this right now, probably a lot of people listening to this right now that can relate heavily and are even in that place. But for some reason, they feel like it's almost harder to say something than it is to not. Well, there's a lot of reasons people don't say anything. I mean, you know, it could be like they have a bad home life and their parents already don't listen to them or their parents are abusive or neglectful. You know, th- th- that exists all around the world. But for a family of a, of a, of a, of a good sound with a good sound home life, you fear disappointment as well. You don't want to disappoint your family and have them think that you don't love them or that you hate this life and all that. And when you're having thoughts of suicide, the thoughts trick you. They tell you you're worthless. Mm. They tell you you have no value. They tell you you're useless. And all of that is a lie. Suicidal ideations is the greatest liars we know. We listen to them because all we hear is those voices and we can't get outside of ourselves and say, hey, wait a minute, where are the voices coming from? And are they actually telling the truth? Because I can tell you point blank, they never are. There's never been one suicidal ideation for any human being that was honest. Yeah. You have to die. No, you don't have to die. You don't have to die. I don't care if you have a prison sentence that you have to do for 30 years. You don't have to kill yourself because you're going into prison. Mm. Freedom is, you know, it's an interesting look on freedom in some meditation circles. You know, there have been people in prison that have learned how to meditate all of their pain away. And so they live in prison. They're locked in. They can't get out for whatever they've done. And they meditate the idea of being free. And so they still feel sane, sound body and mind, and fulfilled even in a place that's so horrible to be in. Then you look at people that like, they live in the Fortune 500 scale and they're making all that money and they lose it in the stock market and they take their lives. You don't have to die either. You can rebuild. This is not the worst part of your life. It's just rock bottom. You got nowhere to go up except up from here, you know? It's a matter of perspective when you get a suicidal thought. And if you come to a place where you believe you have to die, like I did, then you do what I did. I am telling everyone you don't have to learn the hard way like I had. Yeah. Learn from me. Don't learn to do what I did. What was going through your head? So you're you're pacing for 40 minutes, hoping that somebody will actually say something to you to help make it easier, I guess. But then when you actually jumped, what went through your head? What have I just done? I don't want to die. God, please save me. And then I hit the water. And can you remember? So what you're saying is instantly, as soon as you sort of went, it was an instant regret. Instantaneous regret. Yeah. Which is, there was someone I knew from school, actually, that took his own life a couple of years ago. And they said that he hung himself. But then when they found him, there was scratch marks everywhere. And they said to him, that was him trying to actually stop it. Yeah. It's a common thing, right? That it's like, as soon as it's, like I'm sure you've probably heard the story and you've lived it yourself. It's the instant of, um, because our brain's not made, unconscious mind is actually there to protect us. Yeah. So it's almost like there's this confliction of what we want to do. Well, you get a hyper adrenaline rush and you go into fight or flight mode right. and you fight to stay alive. 
and, and, and all around the world, people who have survived mean, suicide of means of all kinds. Hundreds of thousands of people around the world have recounted the same instant regret that I had from means of all kinds of suicide. Because you, you don't actually want to die. You believe you have to. And then when you think you're actually going to die, you go, what have I just done? Yeah. And then you think it's too late. So what I love most about you and your, and your story and what you do now is because I think a lot of people get the story. They've got good intentions of wanting to talk about mental health and bring awareness to mental health and all that. However, when I talk about it, it's like I've said openly to people, I'm like, I don't want to attend mental health talks. What I want to do is help build strong minds, strong brains, the preventative of it. And when I was looking at everything you do, that's sort of what you do as well, like helping people actually understand all this. So for someone who's actually, because like someone who's going through mental health, I think they're quite aware. So for someone listening to this right now, who may be going through a hard time, what what's your advice them to actually get you said it's all about perspective. So how can they start to actually shift the perspective and gain back control and gain that strength to take over the thoughts they're having? So one of the things I tell people is that pain is universal, okay? Pain is inevitable. It's coming for all of us if it hasn't already. It's coming for you. Suffering is optional. It's a choice. It's a choice. Unless you're living in a war-torn country where everything is desperate and destructive and hateful and spiteful and you're in constant physical danger suffering is a choice every clinician i ever had besides the ones i have today that agree with me used to tell me i was suffering from bipolar suffering from depression suffering from mental illness suffering from eating disorders what i was i live with eating disorders i'm not ashamed to say it as a man so they told me i was suffering 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 i adopted that narrative as my own i became a sufferer but that only made me the victim of my own story. When I realized I could fight my pain, battle my pain, live with my pain and thrive despite of my pain, I became the hero of my journey. And even though I was born in abject poverty, living in and out of crack motels, I've never suffered a day in my life. I've been given a second chance at it. And that's a gift. Every waking moment is a gift. You have a a one in 400 trillion chance of being birthed into this world. You have a one in 400 trillion chance of being birthed in this world. You are meant to be here until your natural end, never to die by your hands. The odds are already against you. So if you come across brain pain, forget this mental illness stuff. Everyone talks about it. It's our language. We all have mental health issues or mental illness. No, wait a minute. There's a negative connotation to the term mental law by itself. Let's call it what it is. It's brain pain. It's your brain health and brain health should just be health. But when someone has brain pain, They're told to step out of it, get over it, move on, pull themselves up by their bootstraps. They're told it's all in their head. Well, you're damn right it's in my head. That's where my brain is. The next thing is you need to watch what you consume. The food you eat every day determines your mental well-being. Your serotonin is housed in your gut. It's fed to your brain from your gut. Your gut microbiome controls it. If you're feeding your gut only processed foods, you're damaging your brain at the cellular level. If you now know not to do that to yourself, why would you? Now, that's not always easy for everyone in the world to do. There are food deserts all around the world where people who have less, who own less, who earn less, only have the opportunity to eat certain foods because that's all that they can afford. I want to be very hyper aware about that Mm -hmm. for everyone listening. 
But that means that you hustle and you grind as hard as you can to get out of that situation to the best of your ability to create your own opportunity. In my life, I've lived in halfway homes for the mentally ill, living off of $3 a day. I know what poverty is. I've been through it. I know about eating frozen foods every day that are terrible for your gut health. I know about being 275 pounds at 5'6". I'm only saying to everyone listening and watching this what I have lived through. Yeah. You can get past any of your pain if you so believe. It's about perspective. If you change yours, you can do anything for your brain health that you want. It is up to you. People say that I need therapy or medication. I take, I go to therapy. I take medication. But there are tens and twenties and thirties ways to do things in your brain health that anyone can do. Like drinking chamomile tea every tea every day can benefit your brain health immensely. That's one thing anyone can do. Exercising every day, anyone who's physically capable can do that. Those are two things you can do right now to benefit your brain health every day. So I'm just, I'm just kind of letting you know, like it's not all about clinical care. You yeah. know, I I use get help, but you, you if you can't avail of clinical care, you can research, educate, read everything you can about the topic of your diagnosis, and then you can survive it. Yeah. What can we do as a culture to be more aware and actually? Apart from like, you know, one of the things I say to people all the time, like, just be a good motherfucker. <laughs> if everybody was just focused on actually just being a good motherfucker and being kind and just being nice to other people, because like, you know, at one of my programs, I really just teach people like it's you never do know what anyone's gone through. So just like even if the crazy Karen who cuts you off and yells at you in traffic, like you are the person in that moment. If you can respond and still be kind to someone like that, because you got no idea what they're going through. Right. Like that's yeah. I think that's what's really going to change the world. But you know, in for us, like you said, you were pacing back and forth for 40 minutes, right? Please tell us, like, what can we do as people to actually be more aware and ask better quality questions to identify if someone is really suffering and how can we sort of help that? So let's give a concrete example. Let's say you see someone on the bus, on the bus stop, at a bench in a park or on a bridge walking and they're alone and they're crying and you know they're hurting. Instead of walking by them, walking around them, or walking over them, walk up to them and literally say, hey, I noticed you were crying. I don't want to offend you. I know you don't know me. Are you okay? And when they give you that, I'm fine, I'm good, and I'm okay, bullshit answer, say, no, I don't, I don't think you are. No offense, but like you look like you're in a lot of pain. Do you want to talk? Are you safe right now? That language is not intrusive. It's just kind because they're going to be like, whoa. Who is this fool, you know? Because people don't do that to each other. Their families didn't do that to them that morning. So say, hey, you know, instead of being here on a bridge that could be dangerous, why don't you come back with me to the pavilion and we can sit down, I can buy you a coffee and you can tell me what you're going through. You could save that person's life. If you just gave up a little bit of your time to be kind to someone you don't know who's obviously in pain, you could change their whole trajectory, not just for that day, but their destiny. Mm. I love this. Kevin, you're the man. I appreciate you having you on. I know you're really strapped at time. Um, super quickly, what's your message to the world now? If you're at home right now or in your car or wherever you are listening to this and you're in a world of pain, just know something. If nobody else said it today, I love you and I want you to stay. I love it. Kevin, where can everybody find you, follow you, check out everything you do and get access to you? Find me at Kevin Hines Story on Instagram. Uh, it's the easiest way. I, I answer all DMs of people in pain. Uh, it takes me some time, but I do it. 
find me on at Kevin Hines Story or go to my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Kevin Hines. 640 videos, all designed to better your brain health. None of them take clinical care. They're all designed to help you change your life and help you build your own regimen, your own routine to change your mentality. Go from brain pain to brain health. And please go to my website, kevinhinesstory.com. Grab my book, Crack Not Broken, or The Third Rail. And those are my two books. And then uh, check out the website and our resource page. Those resources should be able to help you. I love it, man. Dude, to wrap this up, i got one final question for you. Are you ready? Yeah. Yeah. If you were to go back to your 18-year-old self and give him 30 seconds of advice, what would it be? Wow. Kevin, today is not tomorrow. Just because you're in a world of pain right now does not mean you don't get to have that gorgeous tomorrow, but you have to be here to get there in the first place. It will get better, but you have to put in the hard work. Thank you so much for listening. And if you got value from this episode, it goes such a long way. If you can just take 20 seconds of your time, leave me a five-star rating and written review, then screenshot this episode and share it to your story and make sure you tag me for that shout out. And until next time, guys, go out there and dream out loud.